Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Kathy Sheridan, and today we are going to be talking about one of the big stories of the week in terms of women, and that's the McGill Summer School Manal Row. More about that in a moment, but just to let you know that later on we'll be talking to some female street performers, they are a very rare breed, who'll be part of the Leia Healthcare City Spectacular, the street performance festival, which is happening in Dublin and Cork in a couple of weeks. But first, I'm sure you've heard about the Ferrari over the mantastic McGill Summer School, which went viral this week when it was revealed the lineup was predominantly male. Out of 45 speakers at the long-established summer school in Glentys, County Donegal, just 15 are women. Our friends at Manal Watch were not impressed, and neither were we here in the Women's Podcast, let me tell you, especially since for the past three years we've had no issue with filling our podcast with extremely engaging, expert, qualified, impressive women of all kinds, young and old. The row, you remember, was compounded by summer school director Joe Mulholland, who, speaking to the Irish Times on Tuesday evening, defended the number of women speaking at the annual conference, saying he had done his best to ensure a fair representation, but that at times it was difficult to find the, quote, person with the correct aptitude for some of the topics that are discussed in sessions. He has since apologised and promised that the event will have more women and will also include two new events, a discussion on the eighth referendum, oh, that thing that, you know, people kind of have forgotten about already. Though why that historical political development wasn't included in the first place is beyond me. And they've also added a panel on gender balance, which should be very interesting. Deirdre Falvey, Irish Times feature journalist, is here to discuss it with me. And on the phone from Spain, interrupting a precious family holiday, Ben Tonra, Professor of International Relations at the UCD School of Politics and International Relations, who got involved in the discussion when he tweeted his dismay at the lack of women and said he wouldn't be taking part in McGill Summer School if they didn't sort it out. Also joining us, I'm happy to say, is Roisin Ingle, our co-producer. Hello, Ben. You are very angry about this. Angry is a strong word. I was I was upset and disappointed. Um, I mean, I know gender is always a big issue when you're putting together a conference, and, I, and I've been on the other side of the fence trying to put together a conference, and it's always a challenge. But I think with a, an institution like McGill, which has such a, a, a capture of the public mind over the, over the summer months, I thought it was really important that something would be done to address a, a very glaring and obvious error. Have you noticed this before, Ben? Oh, it's pervasive. I mean, I mean, certainly across academia, as you may know, there, there's an actual pledge that, that 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 you can sign, and in fact, that I have signed, um, that uh, that as an academic, you don't participate um, in male-only panels. Um, and I think it is an issue across academia, and I think increasingly people are conscious of it in many different professional contexts. And Ben, was yours was yours going to be an all-male panel? No, um, I'm delighted to say uh, Maureen McGuinness, MEP, is 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 the third person on our panel, and she's not moderating. She's a she's a she's a panelist alongside myself um, and Jack Chambers, TD. Ben, in terms of have you addressed the the McGill Summer School before? Yes, twice before. Uh, once back in the in the in the 90s, um, and then the second time was only just last year. 
So you've seen it in a, in a couple of its incarnations. And yes. have you noticed any improvement in the, in the female representation on it? Uh, no. Um, I think, I mean, one of the things that I found striking last year, again, last year I was on a panel with, uh, uh, with uh, Lucinda Crichton um, and, the, and the European Commissioner on, on internal security. Um, but I did notice in the other panels that I attended, particularly sort of on Brexit, future of Europe, etc., it, it was very male. It was very middle of the road. It was, to use that awful pejorative that people are using, male, stale and pale. Um, and, and that's something I think is, is sort of a broader issue, even, even beyond the central issue of gender. The broader issue is that of di- more diversity in voices, more young people, more differentiated opinion from people, just to have the kind of wide and open debate that I think McGill both aspires to and has had a track record for. Yes, indeed. I'm just going to go to Deirdre Fowle for a moment, Ben, and we're going to get back to that because um, we've been made aware, actually, that some women have had objections to it from that point of view as well. Deirdre, you've been, you've seen a few panels in your time and participated in them. Were you surprised, appalled, outraged? Um, you know, it's, it's same old, same old. Although, I mean, you do you do have the feeling at the moment that life is changing, and how could then how could like the McGill organisers not have realised this? But yeah, there t- there, there are t- tons of examples. Obviously, academia have this pledge um, that people sign. But um, you know, the restaurants association last year were criticised for having only men cooking for their their awards night, and the Late Late Show was criticised for male panels. But they're trying to make that better. And TED Talks analysis, there's um, uh, the TED Talks have, have a ratio of three to one or something. Some analysis has shown, and at Davos in 2016, they, they actually had an all male panel on the theme of what, when women thrive, which seem, it actually seems like a, a brilliant joke, but yes. uh, I think it was straight up, you know. So, but, you know, it, it certainly feel you know, there's this feeling at the moment that um, something that's been happening for a very long time is finally coming to fruition. And for the McGill organisers, it's like they've missed the big story and they're a public policy summer school. How could they have missed um, covering something that has been really significant this year and this last couple of years, but is a, but is a coming to pass of something that's been building for, for decades? If you're talking about, you know, the, the referendum and the bill towards that, that result. But in terms uh, of the panels and the, the manals that, that there are in McGill, God, you, you know, you'd almost feel sorry for the organisers. You know, it's like life changed while they turned their backs or fell asleep or something. <laughs> and, and But in fact, it has been happening for years. You know, you'd, I'd, I'd also feel sorry for all of the participants, you know, for the male participants who, for whom it's kind of embarrassing and who, I mean, most men, you know, they don't want to be part of an, of an oppression and they don't want to be part of manals. And for women, you know, they have, sort of the women who are on panels and there are some excellent women on on the panel on the panels in McGill you know they are the they're seen as the ones who have the aptitude whatever that is and that, the that, qualifications that, and the qualifications that Joe Mulholland is requiring and it's you know of course uh, um, as Ben said you know their panels in general need more diversity m- m- need fewer of the usual suspects um, but there are some really good speakers although there are some speakers that you really look at me at the keynote speaker in particular. You kind of wonder, really, is that the keynote speaker oh, for this year? Remind us who the keynote speaker is, Bertie Ahern. But anyway, oh, there you go for the year. That for this uh, anyway. But it's yeah. I, I just I just think it's so old fashioned. I suppose to see everything as a male female divide. It should be an automatic thing. It shouldn't be something that somebody slips up and afterwards they say. 
oh goodness, um, we never thought about it or we got that wrong or we couldn't find women. Oh, for God's sake, would you open your eyes and look around? You it, know, it is astonishing. It, yes. it is astonishing. Yes. I mean, in 2016, the Abbey, this happened to the Abbey when they're, they're waking the, the uh, nation. Um, and boy, uh, do they live to um, regret they live it. To, yes. And do you know something? They they fessed up and they actually have, and it, it, it in fact has been a, a hugely transformative thing for um Lots of areas for, for theatre or for the arts in general, you know, and people that it has been brought to people's attention, you know. Yes. But but for McGill, they're almost comically out of touch on it. Ben, um, it's it's an interesting thing that you appear to have just hit the cliff at that point when you saw this, and you you tweeted very unmistakably. You said, "Fix it, McGill Summer School. Fix it now. Or I'm not coming. Full stop. No debate. Lots of great women in security and defence studies." Legion's better than me, which is very modest of you. Lists and lists of experts. Acknowledge, apologise, act to address the issue. Um, Now, you're the only man, as far as I can see, who did that. Have you been getting much of a response to that tweet? I have, and and, and it's been very gratifying. I mean, people have been saying, you know, thank you and that, and, and, and to be... Frankly, frank about it, it's been embarrassing because I don't, I don't, I don't think any there's any need for <laughs> for thanks in that respect. It's just, it's just a reality. Um, and again, just to emphasize, I, I have been on the other side of the fence. Um, I put together a conference oh, about two months ago on on issues related to to the border and Brexit. Um, and I had a, I had a, you know, t- tore my hair out to put the program together. Sent it around to a couple of people for their for their comment on the draft. And one of the responses I got back was, "You got the gender wrong." And I looked at it, and I fair cop. I had got the gender wrong, and went back and reinvited people and and changed the program around. And and we had a fantastic program, a much richer and better program for that. So. It's just that sometimes, you know, if, if you're in the middle of it, it's hard to see the wider picture. And sometimes you just need to be reminded. And I suppose my tweet was sort of a, a cry from the wilderness that this was something that McGill really had to focus on and take more seriously than they had to date. Because, Ben, what I found so amazing really was the picture they used in their promo. Oh, 20, 24 faces of men. I mean, not one of those very commendable women was in there. So to talk about falling asleep... Well, this is my question. Was that their photograph or was that somebody who put the photograph together? I do not know, but I would have thought if there had been a woman on the committee that put it together, (laughs) they came up with a camel rather than a horse, didn't they? I mean, really, the whole thing seems to have been dropped. Um, Because, as you say, if they put that together, I mean, that is is a PR misstep of of simply gargantuan proportions. I had assumed, to be honest, that 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 somebody had seen the programme and themselves put together a montage of all the fellas. Now... I may be wrong in that, but that's that that's that's certainly something to think about. Rosie Mingle here, Ben. Sorry, and Cathy, I'm just going to pop in just to say that actually on that on that issue about the the montage, I think that was put together. The the, the really sad thing for McGill was that on the website, the list of speakers is in alphabetical order. And it just so happens that the first two pages, because of the way the alphabet oh. falls, were men. So if I actually think, because it's 15 women out of 45, which, you know, actually isn't the worst it's not in the, the very world. Worst, no. I mean, I've seen much worse than that, right? But if they'd have sprinkled a couple of women uh, through those first couple of pages <laughs> and they hadn't done it alphabetically, we might not be talking about this at the moment, actually. So it's interesting how I think that's what... Because you, you went on and all you could see were these... Well, I won't. I don't know if male pale instead. You, you said it was pejorative. There are some men very upset about that phrase, aren't there, Ben? 
Yeah, there are. There are because nobody wants to be described as stale, um, and and we're all we're all no, 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 none of us want to be described as pale. And there's nothing we can do about gender or gender identification. So or your you skin are. color. Yeah, and I think probably it is a bit, but you can kind of see where it's come from. Yes. But I do just think that's an interesting point that actually whoever was putting that website together, and I think this is really interesting, Deirdre. You know, in terms of the gender blindness, if you were the person just looking at the website, there'd be something. If it was us, Kathy, or anybody, any other woman looking at it, um, we would kind of go oh no 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 this is this is awful we would just say oh flip we have to fix this but yes. nobody got to that point even though it's there's i think the secretary of the school is a woman and i think the program coordinator is also a woman which i think is interesting too it is it is ben wh- what have you made of of uh, joe mulholland's response which began rather i think he's he's, he's better than halfway there um i think he's acknowledged that there's an issue He's apologized in a sense for, for, for certainly not tackling the issue up front in the first instance and then for some of the rather unfortunate, you know, digging, digging a deeper hole that he did in his initial response to, to criticism. Um, now, you know, then you have a debate in terms of the, you know, my third element, which is what are you going to do about it? Um, and he's added a panel. Um, he's, he's adding women to the mix, which, again, comes back to this sort of sprinkling narrative. I mean, you don't want to be sprinkling women into a program. You you want the program to be diverse, to be, to be open, and to be appropriate. Yes. I mean, one of them is going to focus on the recent referendum um, as if as if this Surprise. was some sort of yes, that's some grey area. That just something that happened. Sort of, I, well, how long ago was that now? Kathy, do you oh. think that's to do with the fact that it's to do with women? Because, in fairness, Vicky Phelan is there. And she's going to be talking about the cervical smear scandal, I presume, at the, at the at McGill Summer School. But it's interesting that they have her on, but they missed the other big story uh, to do with women, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, but they missed the whole that whole movement. It's mm. it's not just the refer it's no. not just the referendum. It, it's, I mean, uh, they could have had an incredible keynote speaker about mm. that subject. It would oh, have been it. quite something. And for uh, and for uh, uh, um, a summer school that's focusing on policy and politics and social policy as well as political. So yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, it, it screams at you as being the obvious thing. And it, just like it would scream at you that if you looked if you looked at your pro list of of speakers and said Jesus. God, it looks it looks awful, male. That we've got to do, so, you know, got to got to move those names around. Yeah. But in fact, it, it just does show you that the, the level of gender. And I mean, we have to say, Kathy, and you know this. We put together um, twice a week uh, two episodes of the women's podcast, and we have absolutely no trouble finding amazing, incredible women all the time to come on. So it is a ridiculous excuse that Joe first came up with. But I can understand he was probably under pressure, and uh, he did redress it in the end. Okay, so Ben. Um, Joe Mulholland's statement last night, which was deeply apologetic in fairness, yes. the man has done a sort yeah. of 100% turnaround on this. And he, to, to, that, to that end, he said, we're working progressively to include in the programme two new sessions. Now, bearing in mind that's only a few weeks away. One will focus on the recent referendum <laughs> on repeal. Uh, the other session will be tasked with cutting to the very heart of why McGill and other organisations and public forums in Ireland have not embraced effectively gender balancing, which is a, a major part of his apology, I presume. But he says to achieve this, we need help. And I would ask our audiences and particularly women to assist us in transforming McGill 2018 by participating in the debates and lenties, which will help establish new foundations in our ongoing pursuit of building a better Ireland in the years ahead. Now, Ben, does that sound like a very belated discovery of something? It's a belated discovery. And, and frankly, it's, it's not up to women to, to, to correct the error. It's up to him 
It's up to his colleagues and it's up to all of us to, who participate in these things to correct that error. I mean, the patriarchy is not something that, you know, only women have to fight against. It is, it is, it is a structure, it is an institution against which we all have to work. Um, and to that extent, I think we all have a collective responsibility. And, you know, although McGill and, and all the other summer schools are, are themselves private enterprises and they're, they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're not public in the sense of, of having incredible public levels of responsibility, they nonetheless are trying to be reflective of public, they are trying to be contributing to public debates, and therefore they have a special responsibility to address these issues more, you know, more full on. And it, again, it's not women's responsibility to do that. Well, I want to say, I don't know if Joe Mulholland listens to the Women's Podcast, but I think he should probably start. But if you are listening, Joe, the Women's Podcast would love to come up to Glenties and do a broadcast from there and to help you with your... Um, gender balance issue. Well, 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 the odd thing is, as as Ben knows and Deirdre and all of us, is that lots of women have been sent to cover uh, the McGill Summer School, um, which is very odd. And some have have been saying in the last couple of days in response to your tweet, Ben, I think, that they actually quietly, including Susan McKay, that she quietly mentioned to Joe the, 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 the scarcity of females on panels and that sort of thing. Ben, can you tell us what it is, as, as you've been through this purgatory yourself, <laughs> how do you look at a list of people after the Waking the Feminists, Farago, and not notice a scarcity of women? I don't know. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a, certain, there's a certain, maybe there's naivete, maybe there's a certain blindness, maybe it's a generational issue, but... Again, and, and those of us of a particular generation will remember the, the golden Rolodex of days old. I mean, <laughs> maybe the Rolodex is just is just too old in, in the offices of the, of the McGill Summer School. And, and they need some people around them, um, maybe to, to, to lift the burden slightly from, from the core organizer organizers, to have, a, to have a more incisive look at modern Irish society. Because it's changing, and it's changing before our eyes. It's changing radically. It's changing. It's changing in so many different dimensions. And and if McGill is to stay relevant, and and that's Joe's aim, but if it's to stay relevant, it has to encompass that more successfully. I noticed Elaine Byrne tweeted yesterday, whom we all know and admire greatly. She said she was asked last Friday to speak, but said no due to work. But she said, honestly, I decline because it's official Ireland, regardless of gender, talking to itself. Well, there is a sense of that old codgers of Ireland talking to each other. I don't mean to be <laughs> oh, ageist. I don't ben. mean to be I, I apologise on her I don't behalf. mean to be ageist. I'm, <laughs> I'm an old codger. I'm, yeah, I know, she didn't mean you. Ben, I'm sorry, you're a lovely old codger. I'm quoting somebody oh, no. I was talking to. I was talking to someone in, in this office and they, they described it as old codgers talking to each other. And isn't there a space for that? And there's something to be said. But I think they need to kind of describe themselves as that and make it clear that that's what it is. But it doesn't sound like Joe Mulholland wants it to be that. He sounds like he wants it to be a cutting very different edge. kind of cutting edge. Cutting edge. Thing. But it's not fair. They're not a, They're not all old codgers. If you look, I know you're joking. If you look at the list, there are some people I've never heard of. Um, and there are some people who do look like the usual suspects. But there are some really interesting speakers in there. And I think it's unfortunate for them. I do feel sorry for... Uh, you know, because people have been wrapped, uh, you know, wrapped up in a, in a sort of mini controversy mm. about it now, you know. Well, yeah. And, yeah, I and, I think I, and actually, I just want to say on behalf of the McGill Summer School, I've never been, but certainly I have used some of their papers to assist me in, in various reports and features and that sort of thing. There has been some excellent work done at the McGill Summer School. You'd agree with that, Ben, I presume, seeing as you agree. Absolutely. To but I, yes. I would come back to, 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 to an earlier point, too. I, again, 
although gender is central to this, there are other dimensions too in terms of class and also in terms of race. Yeah. I mean, we our, our society is changing before our eyes in terms of the new Irish and these wonderful citizenship ceremonies that we're having. Um, and there, there's a real paucity of, of hearing those voices and hearing those experiences. And if, again, McGill wants to be relevant and wants to be seen to be relevant, then it has to engage not just the central gender issue, but also issues of class and race. I suppose I had a bit of a problem with that when Joe Mulholland said that there are other other diversities to be considered as well, as well as women, as if we were a just minority. part of our diverse. That we, <laughs> no, that we're gender just is central, one little. absolutely. Yes, thank you for saying that, Ben. I, I appreciate <laughs> that anyway. Yes. Ben, in the end, are you going to go? Uh, as I say, I think he's two, th- two thirds of the way there. Um, I want to have a look at the new panels and I want to have a look at the, the amended panels because the, the last thing that I received was was sort of a draft outline with lots of blank spots where, where moderators were. So, for example, my own session, which was myself, um, Maureen McGuinness and Jack Chambers, the, the moderator slot was was still empty. Um, so I'll have a look at the final program and then I will definitely make a decision. I'd love to go, don't get me wrong, mm. um, but I, I, I need to see those three things addressed, both the acknowledgement, the apology and the action. And the action, Ben, will be what? Will it be, will you be looking for a female moderator? What will you be looking <laughs> for in terms of numbers <laughs> that would be a now? Plus. Yes. Uh, but to be fair, I mean, he's only a couple of weeks out. Yes. Um, if, if we get the acknowledgement, we get the apology and we see some serious effort towards making a change and, and making action, I can't I can't expect him to, to dump his entire program and start from the beginning. Uh, but if, if there's a genuine sense that he's made an effort here, I will certainly come this year. Um, if if that genuine action is is made, and but for next year, most definitely, you know, we want to see a major, major, and significant change. So Ben, just to sort of nail you to the floor, if you like, absolutely. I mean, how many women do you think should be participating in the McGill Summer School before you'll say yes? How long is a piece of string? It should it should be it should next year it should be half. There's no question in my mind. This year, if the, if he adds another ten. Five. As I say, if 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 a, if a serious effort is made to address this in terms of in terms of new panels, additional speakers, and additional moderators, and he makes a genuine good faith effort to do that, I'm willing to give him a pass on this occasion. But next year, I would I would expect and want to see at least half. Can I just say to Ben because I know a lot of people have been thanking him, and he says it's embarrassing. But I would like to say thank you because when I saw his tweet, I did feel like this is what we need. And Jennifer Connell makes that point very well in her piece yesterday that we need more men to find this unacceptable and to to start refusing invitations unless there is the gender balance and to speak up about it because I think that actually more than a lot of things makes a bigger difference. Unfortunately, it shouldn't be that way. But it was great to see Ben just saying no, it's not good enough. Ben, as a matter of interest, why do you think you're the only man? I mean, there are some. I mean, all of those men by definition almost are mouthy and 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 speak their minds and are Outspoken. not afraid. Yes. So why is it only you? Do you think that is a very good question to be addressed to those other men? Well, in fairness to you're Fintan right. O'Toole, <laughs> you Fintan, shouldn't have to answer. Fintan O'Toole, um, when Colette Brown uh, tweeted during the week, Fintan said he agreed. Uh, yes, there were m- many people better than him. He said. But nobody else apart from Ben threatening to withdraw. And no. Roisin Shortall and Catherine Murphy, but not, but not other men. But, but, but they're they, women. They're, yes, indeed. Yes. No, I haven't <laughs> seen any other men do what Ben did. And that's why I do think it's great. And more of that, please. Be so brilliant. are you, appreciate that. Are you, Deirdre and Roisin, going to help Joe Mulholland with his, with his uh, new programme for think, women? Well, I think that they need to broaden the... I think it's a very small committee, that is, selection committee. And... It isn't, as as uh, Ben pointed out, it isn't just that, that it's got a whole gender-blind aspect to it. It is not diverse at all. 
And in fact, they probably need to add a couple of people to their selection committee, a couple of Donegal or uh, people. I think if it's all if it's all Donegal people who are who are on their uh, on their committee, but you need to be drawing from a wider um, knowledge of people who are there and have interesting things to say and and expertise and knowledge and experience. And I think that it's, it is just too narrow well, a base. Well, okay, Joe Mulholland has what about two weeks, Ben? Three? That's about it. Yeah. Deirdre, are you going to give him a ring and help him out? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know Rosita Boland has mentioned that she's covered it many times and she's never been asked to speak. So there's somebody I think might might be involved. Rosita, who did that wonderful story this year, which was so significant, which probably there should be a panel on that too, because it was such a huge seismic thing uh, as well. But I'd definitely help him. And the Women's Podcasts are here for anything he needs. uh, Well, Ben, we look forward very much to looking uh, at your next steps. We regard you as one of our beacons in this <laughs> regard. And, and thank you so much for interrupting your holidays to take our call. Thanks a million. Good luck. May the sun shine on you. Bye bye, Ben. Sarah, you were born in India, homeschooled until the age of 16, but you were performing publicly for social events by the age of five. What got you into this business? Um, so I guess that was kind of what my parents did. So my parents were missionaries. They were doing humanitarian aid projects. So it was kind of always part of our program that we would offer like for, um, you know, orphanages or, uh, you know, uh, older folks homes and stuff that we would offer it as part of the program, part of, um, bringing them, uh, goods, humanitarian aid goods. And we would like, uh, do dances and skits and we'd also go busking on the streets. I don't know. <laughs> Strange way to grow up. Well, it's, it's, it sounds brilliant because it took you into this world, a world of hypermobility, as it's called. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. Yes. <laughs> how, how, how did you take that direction? Are you just particularly fit and, and, and live, Sarah? How does that happen? Uh, so it was actually quite a long process, to be honest. Um, I, I actually started busking doing shock art. So I was a painter first. Um, and then uh, through just... Uh, doing other stuff while I was there, entertaining the audiences while they were looking at my art. Uh, I met a guy who um, got me in touch with a contortionist because I did a lot of the flexibility moves um, that that she could do. Um, So yeah, in about half a year, I joined a circus school and uh, a year later, I had my first job as a contortionist. (laughs) Did you have to run off to the circus, Sarah? Did your parents say, yes, you may go to the circus? Um, I didn't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> so you did run away to the circus? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. You're, you're one of those people that we read about in children's stories. Um, because you were, home, you were homeschooled until the age of 16. So were, were yes. they expecting you to become a missionary or what were they thinking? Yes, pretty much, yes. Um, so I, I, I guess in a way I still see myself as a sort of missionary. <laughs> I just have a bit of a different agenda, just kind of... Um, I don't know. I mean, I still do the same things that they do and the busking and all that. But now it's kind of just like, you know, showing people that there's another way of life, another way to do things, kind of entertaining, bring, making people happy in that way instead. And Sarah, like are, you, are your parents still busking and doing all that kind of thing? Uh, my father, yes. My father is, lives in Congo at the moment. And he, he busks around Congo? Um, so he doesn't, but he um, organizes other, like, he has, like, groups of, of um, it's not really busking anymore. They do it more, um, you know, uh, without without getting without um, getting paid for it. But he organizes groups of children and teachers to do, you know, creative stuff, dancing. He's opened an orphanage down there in Congo. So they still kind of do that whole going out and doing shows. 
What an extraordinary yeah. background. The Congo isn't the safest place in the world to be doing anything. No, no, it's quite actually, it's quite difficult at the moment, situation there. Have you lived there yourself, Sarah? No, in Zambia was the last place I lived. My, my father moved there after I had already um, moved on. And did you do your school exams and everything? Did you, was, it, was it a fairly conventional education you had, even if it was at home? Um, so yeah, you do exams, you have to send them in and there's online teachers that grade them and they get sent back. Um, I, I did an American homeschooling, which is probably why my English sounds American, even though yes. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and there it's, there it's quite common. It's quite common. It's not very common in Europe, but in, in America it's quite, it's quite common. So we did that. So Sarah, you lived in 13 different countries, 19 cities, four continents, and you've visited many more. Was that with your parents or is that since you, since well, you began your own? No, that's both. So um, growing up, we kind of moved every half year to a year, um, you know, like because we'd get called on to do a different project in a different country. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of both. So when I was when I was six, when I was 16, I left and uh, I did uh, normal school. I finished my um, high school. Um, and uh, was doing circus at the same time, busking and stuff. And uh, that's why I put myself through school, actually. <laughs> um, and then I kept on traveling when that was done. I realized that was I couldn't get it out of my blood. And you're a self-taught foot archer with a bow specially designed to fit your feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, archery was something I was into as a child. And uh, I think when I became a street performer, I really wanted to do something that people didn't see on the street. That was that was like unique. So uh, I when I saw that uh, that stunt being done on YouTube once um, a long time ago now, I, I started training that. I was working in the circus at the time, and I actually I actually went to circus school because I wanted to be the best street performer I could, and not the other way around. I know for most people it's the other way around, but I saw that stunt and I was like, wow, this is this is cool. I want to turn this into a street performance. So I dedicated a few years. Just learning it. <laughs> and I think I should point out, Sarah, that you, 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 um, you trained in the art of contortion at the circus school in Rio de Janeiro. Yeah, exactly. And then you moved to the International Variety Academy in Berlin. Yeah, yeah. And what, what, and what was that about? Was that, was that, was that, was that uh, perfecting your acrobatics or, or what was that exactly. for? So in the circus school, yeah, I was, um, I, I was already actually working as a contortionist before, so I taught myself. Um, but yeah, it's always good to get, it's, it's quite a difficult, um, it's a difficult skill. It's a really hard one to learn on your own. So it was really good. So I went to, um, to get some, to gather some more knowledge to gather the right skills to be able to do it safely more than anything. And Sarah, how do you maintain that level of fitness and flexibility? Um, so I have to train, um, every day. And every day. you're traveling so much, but yet you have to put a, put by how many hours each day to train? It's, it's tough. It's tough. When I'm working every day, I, I'll still have to do at least an hour of yoga and a bit of conditioning in the morning um, besides the shows. Uh, when I'm not working every day, I need at least uh, three hours of physical training. And, and that's just the actual training. That's not the, um, you know, like the, the putting the show together, the working the, the lines and all that. That's just the actual physical part. So, yeah. And is there a big diet and nutrition element to this, Sarah? Um, 
I'd like to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, now there, there is, I, I do, I do eat as healthy as possible. Sometimes obviously on the road, it's not always the easiest thing to do. So Sarah, tell me a bit about the act you're bringing to Dublin. You're one of the very few um, female acts, I can tell you, in this particular festival. So it's, it's, uh, we're looking forward to it very, very much. It's called Ready, Aim, Fire. Yes. So that, that's the act that I was, I was talking about, um, being a foot archer. So it's actually um, the first, the first uh, street performance, solo street performance um, featuring acrobatic archery. So that's what I've been putting my time and effort into. And I'm super excited to be presenting at Lyle Healthcare City Spectacular. And how is this going to happen, Sarah? Are you going to sort of base yourself in a particular main street in Dublin and and do do your foot archery? Is that how it's going to happen? Um, no. So um, this is a free festival um, organized there by um, uh, Laya Healthcare, um, and they um, so it works like it's it's pretty much like um, like you know as festivals are. There's stage times. They'll you'll be able to find me. Um, online or on the on the website or on the on the Facebook page, find out the times when different performers are on. So it's um, in the park. In the park, Sarah. Yes. We will find you, Sarah yes. Schmidt, aka Sarah Twister. We're about to introduce another performer called Kate Mior, Madame Guillotine. Kate, you started in Toronto. What got you involved in your end of things? Um, so I started out performing in Toronto. Quite young. Um, I started out doing Living Statue and then kind of got picked up by a circus and then studied mime and then took the plunge and built a full-length show about four years ago. You were performing on the streets of Toronto, Kate, uh, while completing your Bachelor of Fine Arts in Film Production uh, at Ryerson University. So you actually, you, you have some academic heft behind this. Is that helpful or is it, is, is, is that, did you just decide to run off and join the circus like Sarah? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, well, my, I'm sure my professors would love me to, to plug Ryerson University and say that it was useful. Um, but I actually um, studied mime because I was studying animation. And I was focusing on like stop motion animation. So I thought it would help me become a better animator, but I actually enjoyed it so much more. Um, so I ended up uh, in my third year just going touring full time. And by the time I graduated, I didn't work at all in my field. It's a whole other world, really, Kate, isn't it, um, to, yes. to, to, to do street performance. Do you find, is there any sexism or discrimination involved? Ah, that's a loaded question. Um, I think that, I mean, obviously we are living in, you know, the world that we are currently living in, so it's impossible to deny misogyny. Um, but I do believe that street performing has the capacity to be democratic in that most of the time it's the, the bias is more based on what you do or how much money you make. It's It's kind of like if you are... A walk-by act, for example, like when I was a living statue, there was a lot of bias towards me for that because, you know, I wasn't a, a proper full-length show and, you know, there's, there's a lot of ego involved in it. So um, for, for me, I always felt that it was more based on that than my gender. Uh, are you out there working every day? Then, you know, we have respect for you. If you come out on the weekends only and you're, you know, just a dilettante, then there's no respect for, <laughs> you know, the person. So I think that... In terms of misogyny, as a, as a career, we're probably a little bit better. 
Sarah, have you experienced any any sexism, discrimination out there? Um, regarding street performing? Yes. Um, it's kind of hard to say. I would say not really from my, my colleagues. I know a lot of other women say that they've experienced that. I don't really find that so much. What I do find a bit of um, an issue or a challenge is, uh, is just with the actual uh, audiences that a lot of times I feel like as a woman doing street performance, you're not really taken seriously. Like people don't buy it from you that it's your full-time career for some reason. Like they have a different a different idea of like, you know, that it's just, uh, that you're sort of a lone wolf, that that's kind of an, only a, a role that a man can have and yes. not like, you know, that you can be strong enough as a woman to pull this off as well and make it make it work for you. So I do find that sometimes a bit intimidating. And I suppose to an outsider, Sarah, that's how it looks. It looks like you require particular reserves of strength to do this on your own. Which you do. <laughs> I'm not denying that, which is yeah, maybe why it, 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 you know, it takes a certain kind of person to do it. And um I just find that I, I've, I've noticed that they buy it much more from 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 males, from men, um, that it's kind of like a job, that it's a full time career. Yeah. And uh, I find as a woman, it's very hard to, to make people understand that. Kate, is it possible to make a good living from this? Um, to find good living? <laughs> I mean, it depends, <laughs> it depends on, on many factors. Um I mean, I've, my, my partner's an artist as well. And, you know, as a result, we, we both kind of trade off here and there. And, you know, I'm, I'm able to support the both of us, you know, when it has to happen. And he supports the both of us when it has to happen. So I think the obsession about, you know, can you make a living doing this is, I mean, it's a job. You know, we, we wouldn't be touring if it wasn't, you know, we weren't able to do it. Yes. So, yeah. And Sarah, how long will this go on for, do you think? Do you intend to do this for another 10, 20 years or is it possible to go on throughout your life? Um, it is possible to go on throughout my life. Um, I, I think probably, though, the actual physical part for me, being a contortionist, at some point it does start to, you know, be more aches and pains than everything else. But I think I will always be involved in performance. I'm also highly into costume design and everything that involves possibly directing my own shows. There are so many different... Um, ways to do what we do that I'm sure at some point, you know, I'll, I'll take on the next challenge. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The two of you do sound as though you're terribly involved. Look, it's a very, very interesting conversation. And you're, 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 the, the world you come from, as I say, is very unfamiliar to most people. So we're very glad to get an insight. Thank you so much, Sarah Schmidt, right. a.k.a. Sarah Twister and Kate Muir uh, for talking to us on the Women's Podcast. All right. My pleasure. And that's all we have time for. Thanks to Kate Muir and Sarah Schmidt. The Leia Healthcare City Spectacular is a free family festival showcasing the best in international street performance, the world's leading living statue artists, free family activities, delicious street food from around the world, as well as a pet area with charity partner, the DSPCA. If you want to find out more, go to cityspectacular.com. Just mark in your diary that it starts in Dublin's Merrion Square this July 6th to the 8th and goes on to Cork's Fitzgerald Park the 14th and the 15th. Thanks also to Ben Tonra, Deirdre Falvey and Roisin Ingle who were on earlier. And just a quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher or Soundcloud and you can always find us on irishtimes.com. Also, if you like what you hear on our two episodes a week, 
uploaded on Mondays and Thursdays. Please do tell all your friends and go to iTunes and write a review there explaining why we are your very favourite podcast. And of course, tell all your friends about it. The podcast was produced by Roisin Ingle and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. I'm Cathy Sheridan and I'll talk to you next time. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.